You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. And Moses, Methuselah, Merlin, and a thousand other names you do not know. <laughs> Alan Seiler. Um, I forgot to come up with a thing, so I'll just say <laughs> I, I, I was Beethoven at some point. There you go. <laughs> And Veronica Dashiell. Hi. And we're back. Hey. Right. From where? <laughs> from, well, I don't know. Wherever we go. From last week. <laughs> we're, we're back, back from last discuss, week. There we go. Right. We're back to discuss immortality and Jesus and everything in between. <laughs> That's right. But before we get into that, do we have some news this week, Alan? Well, yes. We have three things we are going to talk about. Um we would have had four because I was planning on talking about the rebrand of the um, the Roku um, screensaver screen, mm. which Paramount took over and branded for a, a little while, and it had lots of Star Trek stuff in it. But that's already over, so they did not <laughs> they did not pay Roku to have it up there for very long. Wow! Um, Apparently, wow. So the the real news, first of all, is that Paramount. Plus has released the entirety of Strange New Worlds season one on their YouTube page. Mm-hmm. Exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. So if anybody watching or listening who has not watched it yet and you don't have Paramount Plus, here is your chance. Go yes. watch it. Um, highly recommended. And of course, season two starts in just a couple of weeks. So right. excited about that. Yeah. Um, so go binge it and then subscribe to Paramount Plus as they want you to. Right. <laughs> Right. They're, they're throwing out those breadcrumbs. And we have a link to that on our Facebook group. So go check out our Facebook group and you can find the link to that. And you can find a link to this second news item, which is one of our guests that we had on uh, last year, Andrea Kindred, who worked in the production office of the original Star Trek series back in the 60s, has a book out that I cannot remember the name of. From Slavery to the Stars. From Slavery to the Stars. And she's doing a uh, fundraiser to be able to do an audio book of this thing. Mm -hmm. And she is a remarkable woman. She is full of stories. And I think that reading the book would be an amazing experience. But hearing her tell the stories in an audio book format would be even better. So I highly recommend anybody who can to go and find that link on our Facebook group and, you know, give a little support to uh, Andrea Kindred. She is fully deserving and an amazing human being. Yes. Right. And um, I'll go ahead, Charles. I was going to say, when we interviewed her, one thing I found about her, she is, she is full of life and joy yeah. as only someone who's been through tragedy and strife can be who comes out the other side. Mm-hmm. And I find that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. 
And I was going to say that the the perks on the Kickstarter also include ebook and print book formats nice. um, as at the various levels. But also, yeah. she has said that the audiobook it won't necessarily be word for word from the text because she's going to tell the story. And nice. So okay. I, wow. It's it's worth it for to get multiple formats on this. One. Absolutely. Okay. And I do I do like that because you know if you have multiple formats, then you why make them exactly the same? So right. And she is such a natural storyteller. She just can spin a yarn like nobody. And so I think that this is going to be an an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I do want to say in general, I would prefer that my books be word for word for audiobook. In this case, I would make an exception, but in okay. general. <laughs> we'll because let if I'm listening to the audiobook, <laughs> I want to hear the book. Otherwise, yeah. I'd read it because I don't have time to read it. And, okay. Yeah. And you know, I've never listened to an audiobook. What? I've, I've, what? I've never listened to an audiobook, so I don't have a preference. Nope, never. Wow. Never. Well, you do have a preference. You prefer <laughs> not to listen to audiobooks. Yeah. What? I'm going to say something. It's going to sound, you know what? This is going to sound so obnoxious, but I still prefer to read books in my hand. And for those old enough to remember, there used to be a thing where people would say, when they talk about some movie, you go, I read the book. Mm. And it was like a real asinine thing to say. And it, I don't mean it like that, but I just still read and I don't listen yeah. to audiobooks. And I'm missing a lot that way too. Yeah, well, I've I've been in a job for 18 years where I'm on the road a lot. And so mm-hmm. lifeline right. for me. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's podcasts, sometimes it's audiobooks. I gotta right. I gotta keep it interesting. Right yeah. on. Okay, and news item number three. This is something that is taking place tomorrow, Friday, June 2nd at eleven o'clock. Kennedy Space Center is holding a special panel discussion. And here's a little bit about it. Science fiction has inspired real science exploration projects, including the launch Mm -hmm. of SpaceX CR-28, which will carry innovative solar array technology, science experiments, and supplies to the International Space Station. Shows like Star Trek have also influenced and inspired many scientists, engineers, and other professionals at NASA to join the space field. This panel combines those who are imagining the future and those who are actively building, exploring synergies between the two. So this is a discussion that is being moderated by Mike Gold, who is the chief growth officer of Redwire. And his guests are AC Charania, which is the NASA chief technologist, and Jess Bush, who plays Nurse Chapel on Strange New Worlds. Nice. That's awesome. pretty awesome. Now, pretty this is an in-person event. It is not being live streamed. So I'm telling this where, where like most of our audience will have no way of watching it or listening to it. And I apologize for that. But I just thought it was really cool that Jess Bush is being involved in these kinds of things and that she's participating in this discussion. And yeah. hopefully, even though it's not being live streamed, hopefully they will release a recording of it after the fact, you know, because I'd really love to hear everything that they're going to be saying. And I w- I'm really interested to hear what Jess's contributions to the discussion will be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But if you're in, if you're in the Orlando area, Kennedy space center tomorrow <laughs> at 11 o'clock Eastern. Is it, is it live streamed by chance online? No, Did I just say twice that it's not live streamed <laughs> at all. I, I missed it. Sorry. You glitched <laughs> okay. on my end. No, you glitched oh. on my end. So I didn't hear that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is not being live streamed, but hopefully they will release a recording of it after the fact. 
Mm-hmm. Nothing's been said about whether they will or not. And yeah. even if you can't make it um, to that, I highly recommend Kennedy Space Center to everyone oh, God, to go see yes. at least once in your lifetime. Oh, yeah. God, it is incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking oh. about science being inspired by science fiction, the um, the first written down concept of a communication satellite was actually in a science fiction story. And scientists thought about that. I want to say it's Arthur C. Clarke. Don't don't quote me on that, but I may be wrong. But it was a science fiction story where the author first posited putting a satellite in orbit above the Earth and bouncing communications off of it. Wow. Later on, we had things such as Telstar and Sputnik that did that exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Impressive. That's that's it for the news. Uh, Keith, do we have some This Week in Trek this week? Yeah, I got a couple of things that I thought were pretty cool. On um, I found I, I wanted to do this as a shout out to the, to the Sweatmans, who actually won't be listening to the show for about, gosh, I don't know. It depends how long it takes them to get through like 10 episodes. <laughs> because Three days. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But on the 28th of May, 1968, the final draft was presented for a so episode I don't care for, but a lot of people love. And that is Spectre of the Gun. Oh, from the original series. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a you third like series. all of them. Almost. <laughs> yeah, I saw that joke that Matt said that the thing was they said Charles said he likes everything, but it's very hard to hate Star Trek. I just it's not one of my favorites, <laughs> but I don't dislike it. <laughs> also, on 29th of May, 1987, um, this was a day that was actually full of a lot of doubt and people didn't know if this was going to work. But on the 1987, 29th of May was the first day of filming of an episode called Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, nice. baby. Yeah. Which and Man, did that work on, out? Yeah, did it ever. And as you, I'm sure you guys know, one of the things was when it came in, the um, the episode, which is basically a two-part episode and kind of like a 90-minute episode, if you think of it as one, it was short. So the whole concept of Q was added by Roddenberry to pad out the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, wow. you can you can kind of tell because that is the Roddenberryest, <laughs> Roddenberry, yeah, Roddenberryest concept. I mean, it that is. is just that's like got his name written all over it. Yeah, and yeah. I adore the work of Dorothy Fontana, but she was always upset about that addition because she wrote yeah. the far point sequence. But the Q sequence is the part that I like about that episode. Yes. I mean, that's I what makes it a good episode. That's what makes it interesting. And just think, if we hadn't had Q in that episode that's a recurring character we would never have gotten. That's the wrap up seven years later of your series that we, that would have been completely different. That's a character that would not have been brought back in Picard. I mean, can you imagine Star Trek, modern Star Trek without Q? Right. We could have got Groppler Zorn that whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God! If um, only Groppler Zorn had been brought back in the finale of Picard. <laughs> Darn it! Oh my gosh, that would no. have been hilarious. No. <laughs> On the thirty-first uh, of May, we had the first day of filming for two episodes a year apart. And the nineteen sixty-eight was uh, first day of film of Who Mourns for, and I still have to pronounce this. Pro- Is it Ad- Adonais? I think it's Adne, but Adonai. I don't. I don't speak yeah. Greek. Most people thought it was Adonis. I thought it was, or many people thought it was Adonis. I did for years. And of course, that's the one episode with the God, Apollo, et cetera, et cetera. A really good episode. Yeah. One of my faves. And then it was also the first day of filming, of filming later for Alon of Troyes. Oh, that's mm. a good one. Yeah. Another great episode. 
that involves Kirk and tears and love potions and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> You're not selling it real hard. I know, right? <laughs> uh, a couple more. The 1st of June, 1984, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock premieres in the United States. Awesome. Um, nice. As a personal aside, it is my favorite of the original series movies. Wow. Um, most people say Wrath of Khan or The Voyage Home. I like The Search for Spock because it's it's a deeply emotional scene for me. Um, more than Spock dying, I actually remember the Enterprise falling yeah. through the sky, burning up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My and God, the Klingon, what have I done? Uh, yes. It's a great moment. Or the Klingon ship soaring over the skies of Vulcan as they're taking Spock mm-hmm. back to be reintegrated. Yeah. Um, love it. I don't mm-hmm. think. You know, when you're talking about a favorite, I think that mm-hmm. that's a that's just a perfect trilogy. Yes. I don't think you you yes. can separate any of those things because I think when you watch them from top to bottom, you get action, you get emotion, you get comedy, you get drama. I mean, it's just everything. And, you know, they were sort of spaced two years apart from each other and they mm-hmm. sort of stood alone in their original run in the theater. But now when you have them, what a what a perfect package those three those three yeah, movies absolutely. are absolutely and as absolutely. trilogies go it really unpredictable if you didn't know what was going to happen next you would not yes. be able to guess like, oh, now they're saving right. the whales <laughs> you know <laughs> right <laughs> yes they did a, a great job and the last the last things are two this is funny two series finales on the 2nd of June 1999 was what you leave behind Oh my the God. End of, yes, the end mm. of the Space Nine. Talk about wow. something that succeeded mm. past expectations. 24 right. years. Can you yeah. believe that? Yeah. That series has just grown in popularity from something that so many people thought was not going to work at all to just be yeah. one of the best ever. Next year. I can't believe that because I was a senior in high school at the time and now I'm 42 mm-hmm. and my <laughs> my daughter is uh, about to be a junior. So oh. I, I can believe it was 24 years ago. Wow. <laughs> that is Next amazing. year we have to do something special for the 25th anniversary of that episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and then the last thing on the 3rd of June, exact 30 years before that last series episode was the infamous episode Turnabout Intruder. Ooh, oh, the dear. last episode okay. of Star Trek, the original series, to be aired on television. And I can't oh, wait to see dear. the Sweatman's review of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I will say DS9 had a stronger finale. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. It had an actual finale. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay, now let's talk Jesus. <laughs> okay. What a segue. Spoiler alert. Right. <laughs> All right. Open so your hymnals to page two. <laughs> Well, if you're, if you're listening on the audio podcast, we'll take a quick break right here and promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. But don't go away, because when we come back, we're going to be talking about two great works by Jerome Bixby. Um, the, the original series episode, Requiem for Methuselah, and the film, The Man from Earth, which is a personal favorite of mine. Yes. So um, stay right there, and we'll be right back. Pardon the interruption. We'll bring you back to your podcast in just a moment. But first, promo for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Here on the ESO Network, three hosts recommend this podcast. I recommend it. I recommend it. And I recommend it. On the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, it's a slice of life as we discuss literally anything in the universe. Cosmic Pizza Podcast. Here to serve all of your needs. Wednesday, I'm here with you people. It's like wild. No pizzas were harmed in the creation of this podcast.
Um, so, had you guys seen the man from earth before this? No. So no. I only discovered this last year. You'll remember Chuck that I, I messaged I you or, or I messaged all of us. I don't remember which one it was. And I was like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, I've just discovered this thing. It's called man <laughs> from earth and it's Jerome Bixby. And it's like, uh, and it's like a modern rewrite of Methuselah. I was like all excited and stuff. And, and, and so like, no, yeah, we saw the stage play of that already. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I still had not watched it. Until oh. yesterday. Wow. 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 Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I saw it when it came out and yeah. got the DVD. And Veronica and I actually had the opportunity to go see it when they stayed. They, they did a stage play version of it as well. And it was at, I think it was the Theater in the Square in Marietta. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Veronica and I went to see it oh, there. Wow. And it, I mean, it, it, if you've, I mean, seeing the film, it translates beautifully to a stage play because it's a I mean, it's stage you, play. Right. Because right. it's basically a one room uh, yeah. story. Right. So right. yes, it is. It is it, like it's almost intended to be a stage play. Right. Keith, had you um, seen it before? No. And this is so funny. I mentioned this to Charles. I have, this is one of those I have been telling people for the last sixteen years. You need to see the Man from Earth because it's great, <laughs> and I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Only because oh, of the rap. I've ever been like, uh-huh. Every time I know somebody like Charles, they're like, "Oh man, this thing is awesome. You'd love it." I go, "Oh, I got to put mm-hmm. that. I put that on my list." And I had never gotten around to see it. It's literally so on the funny. list that I have. <laughs> yeah. And so the today is the first time I've ever seen it. And I well, absolutely and just to, checked off the list. To set it up for some yes. folks. I mean, Jerome Bixby started writing this film in the 60s, right in the story. And then he literally ah. finished it on his deathbed in the 90s. Mm. And I mm-hmm. believe by the end, he was dictating this the screenplay to his son uh, to finish for him. And wow. but it shares a lot of themes in common with the with the Star Trek episode Requiem for Methuselah, which he wrote mm-hmm. in the 60s. And mm-hmm. so we thought it'd be a great pairing uh, of stories to talk about was would be these two. And we're going to spoil the man from Earth. And if you've not seen it, I recommend seeing it rather than mm-hmm. our description of it, because it, I think it's, it's just uh, it's, it's my favorite kind of sci fi story where it's just yeah. characters in a room and mm-hmm. just through dialogue. Can you build a great sci fi story? And they do. Yeah, they do. Um, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about both of them at the same time, or do you want to do one at a time? Or you just want to well, float I think, between yeah, the just, two? We just float between the two and however okay. the conversation goes, I think. Uh, I don't think it has to be a, a, a review of one and, and the other. Speaking of you guys saying that it's the best kind of science fiction, you know what it reminds me of? Not so much as uh, the best episodes of Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, mm-hmm. and, which are themselves, of course, right. basically like good dramatic stage plays. Yeah, right. So much of the Twilight Zone was powerful with just a couple of people talking mm-hmm. in a room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. and in particular... It's, it's, it's exploration right. of a concept. And if you have mm-hmm. a good, solid concept and you have it uh, thoroughly thought out and explored from different angles, it's, it's, I think it's incredibly engaging. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what we have in this movie. Right. And back in the day, I mean, these days, sci-fi, you've got like the sky's the limit on the budget, it seems like. Right. You can do right. whatever you want. Yeah. But back in the day, it was like you have no money. You yeah. could have a set, maybe. You can have a couple of actors, but it's just like write a great story. And perform it well. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all you've got. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, before we get too into it, though, I do want to say that um, other than Jerome Bixby, this this film does have other Star Trek connections it does. in yes. that it stars Tony Todd and mm-hmm. um, Billingsley. John. Yes. John. What? Mm-hmm. John Billingsley, isn't that it? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we have Dr. Kern Fox. and Dr. Flox. But mm-hmm. it also, it, it, it like doubles down on its sci-fi cred by also <laughs> having William Catt, the great American hero, American hero himself. I know. Veronica, tell us about the greatest American hero. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> she has no she idea what it is. Up. 
Oh, <laughs> oh! I, I discovered when we were, we rewatched it this week that she has never heard of the Greatest American Hero. No. Oh my god. <laughs> or gosh. maybe I haven't forgotten. I started singing that's... the theme song and everything. Oh my! Oh, god. you don't even know the song, Veronica. The look is what's happened to me. One of the greatest awesome. theme songs ever. <laughs> yes. It's such a great show. Although it frustrates the heck out of you when he just every week he flies and he's like, ah, he can't get this. It's a right. great show. Anyway. You know, the, um, the thing about it, which is interesting, is um, I was watching The Man from Earth and it it pulled me in the more the show went on. Mm-hmm. The, just mm-hmm. like the people, the, the more he talked. Yep. Um, and again, like you said, the absolute spoilers, when he got to the point where he said he was Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that could have been corny, but it wasn't because it was powerful. And what I love, and this can offend some people, what he basically was talking about religion and how people graft all their beliefs and their needs and their mysticisms onto religion and how he was really just trying to give a simple talk. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's walking on water. He's resurrecting the dead. And right. I thought it was interesting that one lady, Edith, was about to lose her ever-loving <laughs> mind. Right. And, yeah. I, and I thought, and she's the kind in the right circumstances who would have killed him. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happened to the people in the Bible, the very Bible she's quoting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Apostle Stephen was stoned to death for saying that he knew God and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the way she started acting was, I thought, wow, that's yeah. scary. And you're right. It could have been a very corny thing to find out. Mm-hmm. By the way, I was Jesus. I didn't mention that, guys. But <laughs> I mean, he was almost regretful about it. Yeah, he's yeah. almost like because you know he did what he felt like he he was trying to do a good thing, and then spent two thousand years watching the repercussions of it. Right. Yes. Like, you know, which is wow. it, it's just a phenomenal thing to think about. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, it was just a great it's sort of challenge for the brain to imagine this guy just living through essentially the entirety of human history. Just from a person's perspective. Yes. Um, something that I found, and this is on the point that Keith just brought up, what I found interesting as a difference between the two different scripts is that in the first one, they, they don't really get into too much into the, the religion aspect. But right. he, he said that he was Brahms, that he was, was it Van Gogh was, in, the, in the episode? It was Da Vinci. He, Da Vinci, da Vinci, that's right. Brahms, he was Methuselah from the Bible, mm-hmm. the longest man who ever lived, supposedly. Right, right. So, but um, in this one, he he has a painting, and mm-hmm. he plays a Beethoven piece. He he never claims to have been those people. On on the other hand, he does claim to be like the most, right. you know, like the the fulcrum of, around which history shapes. Right. You know, I mean, it's. it's is really interesting, but I really enjoyed the fact that everything that he said, you know, was from the point of view of, of the script was researched, was there were explanations for it all. It made mm-hmm. sense, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. to the point where the, the overtly religious lady in the, in the, in the episode, in the movie, Edith. eventually could not refute it. Now mm-hmm. I, I want to save the, the, the ending of the movie till later. Okay. I want to talk yeah. about that last because yeah. that's an incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And go ahead. At one point, um, I mean, we, we know that J- if John is Jesus and um, uh, Flint said that he was Lazarus. So they met. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
It was an interesting thing. Now, this would be 100% doing huh. that thing that I don't like people doing, connecting stuff. John yeah. said he met a guy once that he thought might have been an immortal. And that yeah, that's right. what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. You, yeah, could always, been, you could always split. It could have been him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting is I I did a, I did a whole thing when I was taking notes where I kept comparing. Like I, I did what Alan just said, talked about, was I compared, contrasted Requiem for Methuselah to this one. One of the things I found, and I don't know if it's, well, John's actually older than Flint. But what mm -hmm. I found interesting is John seems just very practical and yeah. very, just kind of very accepting of humans. Flint is what I think we might call a misanthrope mm -hmm. by then. Yeah. He's he's tired of humanity. He talks about the barbarism of people. He That's why he bought his own planet. He doesn't want to be bothered with the human race anymore. John yeah. just mm -hmm. seems a lot more practical with stuff. But I also find it very interesting. John said that he had 10 college degrees. Mm -hmm. um, and Requiem for Methuselah, Raina, although she's an android, Raina had 17 degrees at that already. And Flint said that not even Spock was on his intellectual level. Yeah. Right. John, John's like, I'm just a guy. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just a guy. Flint is a super genius. And right. I, that's, I wonder if it's a difference in their focuses throughout their long lives. It could be it or aptitudes. Yeah. I mean, if John's mm -hmm. just a regular yeah. guy and sure, like you, like he said, you can get a biology degree in 1845, but, right. but you, but you, but you're, he's not up to date, you know, like you can't keep up with everything. <laughs> right. And yeah. I thought that was a, a really interesting point. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. 10 degrees or however, but I didn't get them at the same time and I did not get them yesterday. Right. Oh, yeah. So knowledge in different fields doesn't really have any application. Yeah, that, that was that was really neat. Yeah. Whereas Flint has gone yeah. beyond even Starfleet and Federation technology, because mm -hmm. when you can take a one million was what does Scotty say? The Enterprise is a million gross tons. You can take a million ton starship and make it into a really cool model on your table. That's some serious technology. Right. I would love is. to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a I mean. They really focused on Flint in the moment where, like, really the mm. turning point was for him was when Bones said that the the plague on the Enterprise was like the bubonic plague, oh, and man, you get that scene because he's been there, you know, and, and that's yes. when he agrees to help them. Mm -hmm. But I mean, both John and Flint both lived through that and you know had those memories, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I know I noticed real quick. I noticed Michael Phillips said you hadn't seen the film, Michael. We are spoiling the heck out of uh, yes, we are Man from he's... Earth, and uh, also I'm going anyway. to. I wanted to mention Wayne because Wayne yesterday when I Wayne and I are texting and Wayne said you haven't seen it and I said no and he's like you're gonna love it and I said Charles <laughs> Charles is like I can't believe you haven't seen this thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it stays one thing I was gonna say real quick about your thing about uh, Requiem for Methuselah is as we all know one of the reasons that we all like the original series is they recycled the music over and over mm -hmm. but it became a part of it and the music they play I can't do it here this that. Da, 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 da. It's the music they use for whenever it's like some really deep moment. That's the music they play when James Daly, and I think he does a phenomenal bit of acting. Both of these actors and both of these products, they don't overplay it. They're almost understated in their personalities. When, as you said, mm. when McCoy talked about the play, there's a scene where James Daly closes his eyes and he does his head like the pain. And he just goes, the rats, the rats. It's an mm -hmm. incredibly powerful scene. And as yep. you were saying earlier, Charles, when they asked John about that one thing, he did not want to talk about being Jesus. He mm -hmm. was like, I, I, don't, I do not want to go down this path. I know, because yeah. I'm sure that man has had this. How many times in his life has he had to escape somebody trying to kill him for saying that? You know, well, but he hadn't said that. it before. Right. Well, sure. He doesn't tell people. 
No, I and, can see but why. Yeah, but he was one of those like, oh, I should have seen this coming. We, I should not have done this. This is a bad <laughs> idea. Let's yeah, do something else. Right. Was Edith in there. But it's a great setup in the Man from Earth because the whole thing is his friends who are all university professors in different fields. They're all yes. experts. One of them has just written a book. Yeah, and yes. he poses as an intellectual question. <laughs> you know, right. you can't disprove what I'm saying, and it turns into sort of a, a, an exercise for them. Except for he's taking it too seriously. Yeah. And you know they get a little concerned, but it's it's a great. I don't know. It's just I just love the interplay of the film and how it, yes. how the it just they just build a story just through conversation. Mm-hmm. I also said you mentioned Charles that uh, Bixby worked on this on and off for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Y- you can tell mm-hmm. because that is as tight a script as I've ever seen for such a short production. Because yeah. it's little things he did, and also he, John is very different from Flint. Like at one point, Edith mm-hmm. just blurts out. Where were you on so and so in 1292? And he's like, Where yeah. were you last year? Because, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a super genius. He's like, I'm like everybody else. I don't remember every little detail of every yeah. single second of my life. Do you? Right. And I thought that was great. Well, you know what's interesting is that um I've been working on a book about mm-hmm. basically about Who Lanta and about all these nutty adventures that I've had with Doctor Who people over the last mm-hmm. 15, 16, 17 years. And there are details that I have to like talk to other people to get to like jog my memory because they're it's blurry, you know, because things happen and you don't necessarily pay attention to every single detail thinking I need to retain this for this future use. And, but that's only 18 years. He's talking about centuries. There's no way you could remember details from centuries and that the accumulation of all that stuff, the more you accumulate, the fuzzier, all the details get. Mm -hmm. Every treatment of an immortal I've ever seen, whether it's this or whether it's one of my favorite properties of all times, Highlander. I, Alan, I had that question, which is if you have the same organic brain I do, when yeah. does it fill up? When yeah. does it fill up? 14,000 yeah. years of memories. Yeah. That's and like he said, time. like in your life, I mean, everybody, you remember high points, you remember low points, you remember traumas, you right, know, there right. are certain things will stick in your mind, but you don't remember every moment of your life. Right. right. You know, right. Um, and I thought it's very realistic and believable in that way. Mm hmm. But they that was the interesting thing was that they were expecting him to have recall. They want him to be a history textbook. They want to say, you know, in 1492, where what did you do? What were you seeing? What were you, you know, smelling or whatever? And you don't have that sort of recall. You will remember the big things, you know, Mm -hmm. but you don't remember everything. I mean, I don't you know, the, the whole the whole thing that people always say, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I don't you remember don't retain that stuff. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember what was going on summer of 1996. I know the Olympics were in Atlanta, yeah. but right. Yeah, right. The other, the other thing I thought was interesting is they did the thing which in both in both episodes, especially here, they did the thing as you were just saying, guys, that we all do. If you knew somebody was a mortal, mortal, what would you ask them? Did you know Martin Luther King? Did you know Abraham Lincoln? Did you yeah. know Alexander Graham Bell? Well, you know what? Yeah. How the heck would they know to go visit those people all the time? <laughs> necessarily, not yeah. every great person. There's an old. There was an old. There's an old saying. What is it? Something like I think it even comes from the Bible. It says a. Uh, there's old saying something like truly a prophet is not appreciated in his own country. Something like that. There's a whole bunch of famous people that they might have been kind of known at the time, but they really weren't appreciated until history. So. Right. 
sometimes John's like, look, I, you know, like Alan, you said fourteen ninety two. He could have just been a blacksmith somewhere. Exactly. He didn't, you know, he didn't necessarily know that there was this dude named Columbus. Like, oh, I got to go get to Spain and right. go check this dude. You don't know, so you don't yeah. know if this if this mortal would not necessarily have met Albert Einstein. Or you well, know, somebody great. Well, There's that's the thing. People, yeah. We know these names because mm-hmm. they're history. For mm-hmm. him, they're not history when he's at the same time as them. So how right. did he know until they have become history? Right. Um, right. I want to get a comment from uh, Michael Phyllis because this is something that I've been thinking about as well. Hey, Michael. Um, he says, reminds me of a character called a shielder who eventually uh, referred to herself as me. From the ninth series of Doctor Who, she had a whole library of memoirs because she mm-hmm. couldn't remember all the stuff that had happened. And right. and it was interesting that, that they, they portrayed her as all this, like she would have to go to a book that she had, like she would write down things mm-hmm. in order to remember them. And at some point, you you don't really remember the thing that you're trying to remember. All you remember is the text that you wrote mm-hmm. in that right. book. Uh... That's a yeah. very interesting point. So you're so to what you're saying, and that's I think that's a fascinating thing. I know we've all mm-hmm. through science fiction and fantasy, we've all read a billion different treatments of immortals. Mm-hmm. And to what you're saying, Alan, there are some treatments I've read where that's exactly the case. After some point in time, that immortal's brain fills up like ours does, and mm-hmm. they kind of don't remember who they were. Others, there's something like in Highlander, there's some kind of the energy that makes them immortal seems to give them perfect recall. Because they don't forget anything. Right. But I think it's more, I think it's fascinating like that because one of the things also that John said I thought was interesting, they were saying little things like, you know, when did you first see the ocean? When did you do this and that? And again, he's like, you know, I just started traveling. You know, I didn't yeah. know anything about oceans and something special. One day I saw this body of water and I, oh, that must be what an ocean was. Right. And I thought that was, again, it was like, there was not these great moments in history where he was always there or significant thing. He was just, I just lived. I'm just yeah. a guy. Yeah, he was a farmer. He was a yeah, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you talk about the sort of stereotypical immortals, and I think Flint falls more into that category. Um, I agree. I mean, Flint's a super genius with crazy inventions, living in a castle, away from you know, trying to develop <laughs> yeah. a robot to love him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> with where's John? Cool costume? Yeah, where's the John's Just a dude who's just been going along, living his life. He's just. Mm-hmm. You know, lives for about ten years and then moves on, and just is just trying to keep on going and doesn't know what it's all for. And yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And also to, to follow up on that, Charles, I found something very interesting. Flint specifically said he was stabbed in the heart, mm. and the heart instantly healed himself. So now there's another thing I've always loved. And I even thought about this as a kid. Star Trek was so sophisticated. They mentioned that when Flint left Earth, his immortality left him. Because, as McCoy said, the complex fields in which he was created. That's an interesting concept because they Mm. also use that with the companion where Mm. she couldn't leave her planet for more than a few days because something about the essence of where she was created, the energy fields, keeps her alive. But very interestingly, we know that Flint would have survived a gunshot wound to the heart because he survived a a, a sword to the heart. All right. John says, I don't know for sure Mm -hmm. if I'll recover from that. And to your point, also... (laughs) Flint told Kirk that he had twice his physical strength. So he was also superhuman on top of being immortal. Of course right. he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. 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 The great I thing did. about John is just like, he, I don't know. Like he's not like, I, I'm not an expert. I'm just still alive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And that's the interesting difference between the, the two different scripts. One yeah. has to conform itself to the Star Trek formula. So yeah. it has the girl who 
lives alone and has never experienced this thing that you call love, you know, and all that right. stupid stuff that I can't stand. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, the whole like competition between Kirk and Flint over the girl's feelings and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then the revelation that she's oh, an android. And it's like, you know, it, without that, without that, you mm -hmm. could have had a script that investigated some of the concepts a bit more. And mm -hmm. it did do a great job of exploring some of that stuff. And um, certainly through the use of the sheet music and the painting where Spock, it sets up that mystery where Spock is like, these are the genuine article because right. I am Vulcan and I know everything about human history <laughs> somehow. Does he ever? And I can recognize, um, you know, Brahms's handwriting and I can recognize the brush strokes in the Da Vinci. Yes. I know. And I, you know, and so it's, it's interesting that they use those things to set up who this person is, this, this Flint character, right. Who had been those things. He, he had done that painting. He had made that, 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 that sheet music. Right. So, well, it's an interesting way. I mean, it's an interesting opportunity to look at like a young writer who has an idea yeah, and then yeah, revisiting yeah. those themes 30 years later when he's had more time yes. to think about it. Yep. You know, and you know, what's interesting is it, it's, that's a very good point because Jerome Bixby in a lot of ways, he, he kind of demystified the immortal with John mm -hmm. as like mm -hmm. you guys are saying, Flint was superhuman, super genius, all this kind of stuff lived in the same castle we saw from uh, was that Rigel from uh, originally cage. it was, they, yeah. they made a new one for the remastered version. Yeah, right. built the built the right. robot composed of what nomad and lo looks like a what is it, a colander from the kitchen? <laughs> a a colander, totally. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. you can see bouncing on the stream. But well, I love you know, it. Five. It, it's, it's handy because in case you want to you know, make a little spaghetti, you can you know, <laughs> flip it over and strain it, and then it goes back to processing ore for you. It's, it's yeah. yeah, totally handy. Um, I'm going to get this comment from Michael. I actually wonder about the memory thing, though, because a lot of mm -hmm. memory failure as we age is caused by inflammation. But if we were immortal, maybe our memories would be better. We don't really know. Mm -hmm. That's well, interesting because there's that physical component that John might not have experienced. Well, there's two yeah. things, Michael. There is, and I agree with you, there's the degeneration of the actual neurons that give you your memory. But then there's literally just capacity. Because at some point in time, you're going to run out of neurons to form memory. So I'm kind of mm. wanting, it's almost like mm. a hard drive filling up. Um, but, you know, another thing about immortality I thought was interesting, even with Star Trek, you have John and Flint, both of whom I you assume can heal because John said he's had every you know plague known to man, but he doesn't scar. So he obviously has uh, instant healing factors. I always thought it was weird that on that episode, Plato's Stepchildren... And um, I think I'm spoiling this for the sweatmans, but I'm not listening. Um, I thought it was weird that those people were 2,000 years old and still going. A simple cut would kill them. That mm -hmm. kind of doesn't make sense for immortal. You can't, you know, I don't. You couldn't yeah. live like that. You'd have to no. have some kind of resistance. There's just right. no way. Right, and you you can't be that vulnerable mm -mm. to something yeah. that simple and have somehow miraculously turned out to be immortal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing about John I found very interesting, and this is something that it makes you look at your way in a way you don't like to look at yourself. If you remember when we had COVID, every one of us is going to learn two new languages, learn to cook, and, be, <laughs> and, be, and get in shape. And a whole bunch of us gained weight, didn't learn crap, and watched television. We started <laughs> and, a podcast. Yeah, but a good point. Good point. <laughs> yes, but we did, buddy. I, I think what Alan, you and Charles are saying about comparing the two, I think it's very interesting. Flint's the guy we, we 
Flint's the man we would we would like to think we would be if we lived <laughs> six thousand years. Mm. John's the guy we might be. You know, yeah. you might be just yeah. a regular guy for fourteen thousand years, and you thought you were going to solve the mysteries of the universe, and you just you were just a regular guy for fourteen thousand yeah. years. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd rather be John though, because at least he's got friends, yeah. and he's not <laughs> living alone with a robot who doesn't love him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh Good man. Point. Yeah, I mean, um, Requiem from Methuselah has quite a bit of Forbidden Planet in it, in the setup, um, yes. where mm. instead of Morbius and Altera, you've got Flint yep. and Reyna. Um, yeah. And it has that yeah. problem that a lot of episodic TV has, where Kirk falls in love with this young lady in an afternoon and Makes isn't no going to get over it. Like No. Well, and, and to the point where it's a it's a detriment to him fulfilling his mission. Yeah. While his crew yes. has a place. Right, he's yes. so distracted, and yes. and and that's just I I just feel like that undermines Kirk's character. Yeah, you know it, it does. Uh, just drives me and bananas you, when they do like, stuff. Like I feel that. like Kirk, the Kirk we knew from earlier seasons, wouldn't be dancing the waltz. He'd be I'm gonna watch this thing process the thing and yes. like tapping my foot the whole time. <laughs> you know, like let's go. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that made that, and this is so funny. I was indifferent to Requiem when I was a kid. I first watched Requiem from Methuselah when I was 10 years old. I was indifferent yeah. to it. It was okay. But I've always mm-hmm. had an appreciation of history and things thanks to my older brother. So when he said he was Brahms and stuff, I thought it was amazing. But as I've gotten older, and I, you know, as they say, you have to live experiences. Like the fact of being tremendously lonely, I understand that. I'm not, but I understand how he goes through that. But Alan, like what you said, I agree. The whole thing with Kirk's behavior and that love story needs to be excised from that show. And replaced yeah. with something else. You yeah. cut that out, and you have, yeah. despite the incredibly famous ending of "Forget," the yeah. love story makes no sense <clears throat> in any shape, form, or fashion. You can have an attraction, but my God, ten minutes later, he's like, "Come with me. You love me, not Flint, dude." Seriously, yeah. Yeah. and your crew is dying. And I, I, so they did another Star Trek trope. I think is really funny. Only Star Trek can predict exactly when you're going to die from like a disease. Like if we don't inoculate them in five hours, they're gonna die. Huh? Right. <laughs> five hours and two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's it doesn't. And it, it, a couple points. Spock's even say Spock one point says, "Sir, I respectfully suggest you pay less attention to the young lady." Yeah. <laughs> Curse! Like I don't God. like the way he talks to her. Dude, <laughs> I loved Spock's role in that story. Yeah. He was the level head. He was the mm-hmm. let's let's focus on our job. You know, yeah. I understand, Captain, that your you know hormones are inflamed, but <laughs> let's let's settle down. And I thought he was just really really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how that got through the script, making Kirk like that. Because you're right, Alan. That is literally the that is literally the least Kirk like. Oh, in but the entire okay, but nobody series. nobody cares about that at the time. Like- what they what they want is is sensationalism. They want yeah. they want that interplay between man and woman. They want that like humanistic exploration of love kind of yeah. thing. And and it's not about continuity of character. It is yeah, to yeah, a point. Would- to a point. Right. Yes. Well, they would also right. tend to write the the Enterprise crew as if they were sailors who'd been at sea and hadn't seen a woman in however exactly. long. When <laughs> like a, a third of the crew is women in miniskirts, <laughs> right? You know, right. But they're the same women every day. We need yeah. new women. <laughs> right. Um, let me let me get this comment from Michael real quick. Um, did you guys see the Sandman TV series? They no. had that whole episode with 
hobgadling where he lived for centuries and no matter how bad things were, he still wanted to keep on living. I mm. did not see that. It's a good show. Yeah. I, yeah. I have had, I don't know about y'all. I've had this conversation with my wife and I have said, I would like to live forever. Honestly, mm. I'd like to live a couple thousand years. And my wife immediately says, no. Yeah. Immediately. She's like, no, I don't, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to see my friends and family die. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. but then, you know, I can, I can spend a century in North America and then I'll live in Africa for a century. And then mm-hmm. I'll go learn French and all this stuff. She's like, no, one life is enough. And I thought, mm-hmm. and honestly, I you think being the son of a preacher, I'd have a much better relationship with death and mortality. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to keep on going. And it's so yeah. weird how some people are like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. it's quality. Yeah. I, I enjoy being alive and I don't think, being dead, I don't think is going to be anything like my <laughs> existence. But I heard like the transition can be rough, so I'm not exactly. looking forward to that. <laughs> exactly, I would put that off yeah. if I could. I'd be okay yeah. living for centuries. I think yeah. I'd be. Yeah. I mean, I who knows? Too. But I, mm-hmm. I, I think I yeah. could. But we might. Okay. So here's another thing. Um, if if John is immortal, why did he age mm. to 35 and then stop there? I don't know. Because that's how old the actor was that they hired. I mean, yeah. you know, what if he aged to 98 and stopped there and yeah. he lived eternally as a frail old man that can't quite function the way he used to? See, yeah, that's, always... that's the thing. I would not want to live that yeah. much older than I am now. Like <laughs> I, I... a little bit older. <laughs> no, that, That's always handled in so many different ways. In the Highlander series, your immortality, which you have, does not activate until you're killed. Mm-hmm. And so there's yeah. been some episodes of Highlander. Alan, yeah. where there was one dude in an episode of Highlander. He looked like he was about 75 mm-hmm. and he was an immortal right. because right. he was killed when he was that old. And there's one really weird episode, which you don't see a lot, but there's a kid who's about 12. He was mm-hmm. killed when he was 12, but he was mm-hmm. immortal. And he lived like, yeah. Was it Kirsten Dunst in yeah, that's uh, in the That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. point. But I mean, yeah. Flint appeared to be, he had gray hair. Yeah. You know, like he wasn't a young guy either. He, I don't, I mean, I don't know if he's how long he's looked that way. I but. wondered that too. Did he start aging when he left Earth? Is that the thing? Or are you right that he just reached that age on Earth? I don't know, but you think he would notice that if all of a sudden he had gray yeah. hair? Like, oh, something's <laughs> different. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But okay. The, it, oh, go ahead. Good. No, you go ahead. Well, I was gonna say the interesting thing that they added for the man from Earth was mm-hmm. the the perspective on religion, because he's yeah. lived through yeah. from the yes. early shamans who th- realized mm-hmm. that if they explain what the stars were for, they could get a little more food, <laughs> all the way <laughs> up through modern organized religion. And he said he's done that before, yes. you know, mm-hmm. to to get by, which yeah. I think yeah. is a, a really interesting perspective on. It goes back to just living through the entirety of uh, of of humanity. You know, yes. the entire human yes. story. And he's like, well, no, Moses was from an earlier story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, and, mm-hmm. and it is. It, it I, is. Have a, I have a really unique position. As I said, I'm the son of a minister. My late father was a minister. So I was raised in the church, traditional yeah. church. I still believe in God. I still consider myself a Christian. But my views are just way different from most people's. And I really acknowledge like the story of the flood. That is not the first telling mm-hmm. of the flood story. Right. Absolutely. It is not the first telling. And that really freaks some people out. And mm-hmm. I noticed the more he talked, the more Edith, she started getting, she started yelling, blasphemy, this is blasphemy. <laughs> I have no problem with what he was saying, because I think Jerome Bixby did a really balanced job because he did show all respect for the Buddha yes. mm-hmm. and for a lot of what we would call spiritual beliefs. 
Mm-hmm. And he didn't even he he wasn't even knocking Christianity. What he was knocking was humanity. And that's yes. a different thing. Yes. You know? Yeah. And the way people use religion. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I have a good friend who told me years ago, and I thought it was one of the wisest things I ever said. He said, Keith, Jesus did not intend to make a religion. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to process that. But I thought John, John made the statement. He said, mm-hmm. you know, Buddha and, and and Jesus, was it Buddha and Jesus? Before he told me, he said, Buddha and Jesus would either laugh or cry mm-hmm. if they'd seen yeah. what was done in their name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I yeah. love the bit where he said, they're asking about the Sermon on the Mount. And he was like, well, that you know, was up on a hill one time. Not a lot of people stayed. <laughs> Oh my god, dude! I know that was so funny. It's like I'm hungry. Hey, I got a little fish and some bread left. You want some wine? Right. And then a hundred years later, he's like, "Oh, and the food never ran out. It was awesome." Right. Um, I love the science part where he literally said he was already immortal, and and this is actually true. And I've heard this before. Um, when you're traditionally taught in traditional Christianity, you were taught that Jesus had nails through his hands and mm-hmm. his feet. Well, first off, you can't do that. You can't spend a body like that. And typically what they did was they nailed them through your wrist if they did it like that. But even then they'd have to tie you because you'd suffocate really quickly. And I love when John said, they tied me. I slowed my body processes down so that I appeared to be dead. Mm -hmm. I healed, came out of it. And I thought this was so awesome. It's funny and dramatic at the same time. And I tried to sneak out and they caught me. (laughs) He's like, oh, crap. (laughs) Like, Jesus came back from the dead. Now, as a good Christian, I should be ashamed to even laugh at that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is amazing. I don't Mm -hmm. get offended at that because religion and spirituality are two different things. Right. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, Michael Phillips makes the point that uh, Noah was inspired from Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And there every, are it, yeah, there are flood stories in pretty much every culture. Mm-hmm. That's true, Alan. That is absolutely true. And there's a there's a there's a kind of a to, there's kind of a Tower of Babel story, and mm-hmm. every culture has an original sin story. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there Veronica. But most of the time, it was the women. I mean, you know, that's just the way it was back in the day. It was always the <laughs> woman. So sorry, because <laughs> the men were writing the books. That's not yeah. <laughs> what I know. So, not surprised. Okay. Yeah. So, since Keith mentioned it a moment ago, I I want mm-hmm. to talk because we're coming up on like we're ten minutes till an hour. I want Jesus. to talk ab- about the endings. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I was shocked that it was 10 minutes, so I said, Jesus, and then I was like, hee <laughs> That's what Alice talking about. Yeah, so she blurted out, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about the endings of both of these stories, because they both have really surprising and really interesting endings. Mm-hmm. Methuselah has Spock basically erasing a memory from Kirk's head. Yeah. yeah. McCoy says, I wish he could just forget her. And then Spock made that happen. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. And I, I mean, and I love that they ended on that. Mm-hmm. There's no like exploration of the ramifications of that action. It just kind of leaves it hanging in the movie. Um, the psychiatrist tells John, okay, enough is enough. Stop this nonsense. These people are really upset. You need to say right now that this is all a story. You made it all up. And he went along with that. He said, Mm -hmm. yeah, I made it up. I'm sorry. This was all a hoax and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, John, you're just such a card. And (laughs) he's like, hey, you know, this was us sitting around having a philosophical 
examination. We are just we are just exploring ideas. And all of you gave me the setup for the, the story that I told. So, you know, I just built on what you were saying to me. Mm-hmm. When everyone leaves, he then says, the, the girl says, oh, so, hey, your, your name is Oldman. Old man. What other uh-huh. fun names have you had? And he says, oh, you know, I've been, you know, the last name Young and I've had the last name or whatever. And then he said, and then when I was teaching at Harvard, I was whatever the name was he used. And John like T. Like party. party. Yeah. Party. And the yeah. psychiatrist stops. He says, what? Yeah. Harvard? You, you were part. So he, he believed because of this offhanded comment. And mm-hmm. I thought that was so interesting. I think it would have been a, a, a much more parallel, um, narratively speaking, a parallel experience if they had left it hanging on. Yep, it was all a joke because then you don't know if it was or right. not. But right. they resolved it with well, one character. When and the twist, one character. Hmm? When the twist was that that man was his son. And right. had just realized it because that was his father's name. And they had previously established that he, that he, that guy had been a professor at Harvard, and that his yeah. he didn't know his father, and so forth. Yeah, and so I mean, I, I, I mean, that was yeah. that was such an amazing ending. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yes. people who have are watching or hearing this and haven't watched the movie yet. <laughs> I don't. It, it will not diminish the movie experience. This seriously, you got to let this one. Do we think that John knew that was his son? Is that why he mm-hmm. was there? I don't think so. I don't think he did. And I don't think he realized it until that moment. And and then she made the comment at the end, like, you've never seen an adult child die, have you? And he was like, no. And then he probably avoided it. So that was the first time he's been through that in all this time. Yeah. Yeah. I found her character really fascinating because this entire time, she just accepted what he was saying. Yes. She just accepted him. Mm -hmm. And even at the end when he was like, oh, nope, just kidding, guys. She was still like, yeah, so this is the fact. Yep. I think that's a good point, Veronica. And I think she believes him. And I think Tony Todd mostly believes him too. I think Tony Todd, because Tony Todd's like, there's something about you. Um, And I think Tony Todd wants to believe him. And he leans more towards, I think this guy is telling the truth. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But after 14,000 years, how many times has John um, seen, if not himself, somebody in a position be Joan of Arc was burned at the stake? You know, mm-hmm. Salem witch trials. He's like, nah, yeah. I see what's going on. Because I, I remember my wife is watching this with me. And when um, the, the doctor, his son was like, Basically, you're going to be locked up. I'm like, what the hell? So what if he thinks he's Jesus? He's not hurting anybody. He's not even right. starting some violent death cult. Why yeah. would you yeah. want to lock that guy up? I'm like, my goodness. Now, this is why he don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I did like, I mean, it's a subtle love story. Um, or romance with mm-hmm. him and that woman over the course of the movie, which I thought was actually better executed than the love story in Requiem for Methuselah. Oh, yes. um, far better. Far but, better. Yes. but she was real sort of quiet the whole time. And it was just sort of woven mm-hmm. in that yeah. at first, like he asked her if the, if the tests are there, because she has to look for that. And she knows where the tests are at, at his house, you know, and things like that up until when he's driving away, as he has, he says, he says he always does. And he stops. And then mm-hmm. she goes to get in the car with him. You know, I thought I thought yeah. that was just really well woven into the story. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, very um, very effective. Mm-hmm. I remember watching again. I keep reference. I remember watching the first episode of Highlander when Duncan McLeod revealed himself to the lady who was his girlfriend for the first two seasons. Tessa, 
Mm-hmm. And he showed her that he was immortal. In his case, he proved that he shot himself, killed himself, then immediately came back to life. And the first thing he told her was, one, immortals can't have children. And you're going to have to deal with that. And he expected her to run around horror. And the first thing she did, she touched him on the face and she said, I can't imagine how lonely you must be. Mm-hmm. 400 years yeah. of this. And one yeah. thing, Alan, we were talking about Flint, the love story is not good. But one thing that was really powerful was when Flint talked about, he said, love, I've known a love a thousand times, you know, the, the brief, what well, something like the brief scent and then death decay. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that and I was asking myself, would it be selfish if I were immortal to keep getting with women who will watch me grow, never age? And, you know, the whole feeling of look at him, he doesn't age and then do that to them and then move on. Is that selfish? But you're a human, so you want love. Yeah. And so I really feel for Flint, even though he built, you know, he had to build a robot girl. I really feel for Flint. <laughs> and I felt with John because you remember John told that lady, he kind of sort of said he doesn't love people anymore. Or yeah. he kind of like, I, I have affection. But if you've done it that many times, it's not yeah. even that you're burned out. It's like, you know what's going to happen. I got to leave you. Yeah. I got to so move I'm- on. Yeah, he said, I've gotten over it too many times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you got two choices. You leave them before it happens, or you stay with them and they get older and they watch you not get older. Right. And Mm -hmm. then they start feeling bad and then they die. Um, Right. So some people say, and that's what my wife was talking about when she said she wouldn't want to be immortal because of those things. um, Yeah. The the cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Michael says, of all the women Kirk fell for, he fell quicker and harder for an android, and it only took a couple of hours. That made no sense. Yeah, we said I, that, that, I mean, at least on City Edge Affair with either Keeler, he was on their Earth for, we think, weeks or even a couple of months. We don't know for mm-hmm. sure. And then, uh, what is it, on the Paradise Syndrome with uh, where he became Kirok? Yeah. He was on that planet for a long time, and long enough for her to get pregnant and stuff. He had also right. lost his memory. Those made mm-hmm. sense. Well, Edith Keeler was charming, and you could see why Kirk would be interested in her. Right. You know? Right. This one, there right. wasn't any of that. No, she was very yeah. naive. Well, I, and there is an allure in that. And mm-hmm. she was sort of a mystery, and that's something yeah. that you want to, you know, crack. So right. I, 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 I can see you know, the attraction, but. Right. Come on, the level that he fell. Come on, yeah, and especially given the circumstances. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we're... one thing. I, uh, yeah, I was, I was want to say real quick. The one thing we're up on the time. I did love James Daly's performance in *Requiem mm. for Methuselah*. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's just he and both he and John again. There's just a low key way, and you can kind of believe this man who's seen everything, mm-hmm. done everything. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I loved it, and I actually like is it Louise Sorel who played Raina? Raina. Mm-hmm. I love her performance because she has kind of, and I don't mean this as an insult. She has kind of a, kind of a low key palette, like she's underacting, and it yeah. works when you realize what she is. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. It kind of works. Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Any any final thoughts before we before we wrap? Everybody, go watch it. Even Everybody though we totally spoiled the ending. Yes. Yeah. I'm, and don't yeah. watch the sequel. The sequel is terrible that no, some other person wrote and they shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, um, thanks yeah. for saying that. But stick, stick with the man from Earth. It's, it's fantastic. And if you get to, if you, if you ever get the chance to watch it on stage, the stage production of it, oh, we love. And it, like I, I said, it, it translates beautifully to a stage play. I bet. Um, 
And yeah, I'm sorry for anybody who spoiled it, but it's on it's it, who we spoiled it for. But it's on Tubi, and I think it's on YouTube, and it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Like you, there's, yeah. you can watch it. All yeah. those Voodoo, places, freebie, and all Voodoo those free. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Excellent pairing yeah. too. Well, next week is our 120th episode. Yes. <laughs> So we'll be, we'll be talking about the 120th episode of all the Star Trek series that made it that far, which is, which is next three. gen. Yep. <laughs> DS9 and Voyager. Right. Yep. And I don't have the list in front of me. Do we have the list handy for folks? Not of handy, what episodes no. we're talking about? Okay. But well, we will we will we'll post, post it, it in the group. That's right. So it's going to be a big week group. for us. Yep. And we we don't have very many of these left. We've been going since no. we started this podcast. Yeah. We have Over. 140s and 160s. That's right. And then we're the same three shows. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so that should be a fun week. And then the week after that, we've got Strange New Worlds is back. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So, so excited. Uh, hey, on our way out, I want to ask a, a, a one-word answer for each of you. Would you want to live as an immortal? Yes. yes. Yeah. I, I'll say yes, and then I might change my mind in a thousand years, but we'll see. It's right. unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it beats the alternative, I guess. Yeah. As long There's as they don't things age. that I want to see. Good point, Veronica. As long as they don't age. I agree with you, Charles. Uh, no, I, no. I could see myself being like Flint, though, and just being tired of Earth. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm <laughs> done with these people. <laughs> I'm already like 50% of the way there. Right. <laughs> Wayne is on board, man. He He's wanting it, too. Good, good. All right, well, a lot of episodes cool. left then. All right, Wayne, we'll go colonize Mars together, man. Right. <laughs> I think you're going to need somebody to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> In a long time. We ain't there yet. Anyway, <laughs> All right, Alan. Note. Where can people find more of you? <laughs> Go look for my other two podcasts. One is Modern Musicology. We just did an interview with Ricky Bird, who was uh, in for 10 years in the classic lineup of Joan Jett and the Black Arts. He's a solo artist now. He's a recovery mm-hmm. coach. And he's had an amazing life. He's played with everybody in the world. And um, we are uh, their next episode is going to be an exploration of the music of 1983. All those amazing albums that have 40th anniversaries. My other podcast is Doctor Who A to Z. And our next episode is going to be uh, talking about one of the Matt Smith episodes, Cold War. Mm. There you go. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Yep. We've got a few performances coming up, uh, which we're, we've been talking about and posting about. But uh, ju- in quick, June 10th at FrankenCon in Knoxville, June 17th at the Sandy Springs Library here in the Atlanta area. And then uh, July 22nd, we'll be at the Sinful Variety Show uh, at the Red Light Cafe in Atlanta. And then we'll be at DragonCon in September. And hopefully we'll be filling other things in in between. But that's right what we on. have so far for right now. Yeah, and monsters. where else can they find us, Veronica? Monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys. Yep. And we're actually in the midst of recording a series of special episodes with some big guests. So Ooh. Um, tune in. The next few monkeying around episodes are gonna be are gonna be big ones. Yep. Ooh, I'm excited. All right, Veronica, do you have a closing for us this week? Once again, complete I'm surprise always... that she's being asked. <laughs> <laughs> is terrible. He's only done this 119 times. <laughs> <laughs> so Veronica or Mortal Charles, she would go, who are you? Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, y'all. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. 
You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.